Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. You feel good? Well, you definitely look good, and I'm, I'm grateful to, to worship Jesus uh, with you. Thanks so much for Matt and Kate and the team and worship. Would, if you enjoyed worship and everything that you've been led in today, would you give them an applause and thank God for how they've led us today? Uh, as Matt said, I bring you greetings from uh, down south, uh, Coachella Valley, Palm Springs area in the desert, Indian Wells to be exact. Uh, I live where your heat travels to learn how to be hot, okay? Uh, so I'm glad to get somewhat of a respite and be here in Northern California uh, today, but on behalf of my, my wife and children, who couldn't be with me today, thank you, Hills Church, for being who you are. My wife wishes she could be uh, here, and so far it's hot down there, so I have to bring her something back really special, like an Escalade or something, which I can't afford, so I'll probably be uh, in trouble. So on behalf of my family, we say thank you for allowing us to be here. I'm a chocolate man. She's a vanilla woman. Our children are caramel, and so pray that our family will continue to be what Jesus has called her uh, to be. I brought uh, some friends with me. My wife is actually from Sacramento, uh, born and raised, and so I'm flying up here all the time. I know there's people online watching and we have a service to get on to, uh, but I would be remiss for not to say to the second most beautiful woman in the world after my wife, my wife's mother, Karen, and my dad, uh, Leo, are here. So would y'all give it up for my in-laws who, who came here to be with us? That is really, really cool. Could you clap better because it gives me more points? With No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, Love Hills Church. You don't know me, but I know you, and your example for the gospel uh, has been uh, broadcasted around uh, the West Coast, and we applaud God for all the work he's been doing here for decades, and those of you who have been a part of the foundation of this church, thank you for believing in the Bible. Thank you for believing in Jesus. Thank you for putting Pop-Tarts in your cafe. God is, um, God is really good. So I love Hills Church, and I also love... Uh, your pastor, uh, Jonathan Hansen, has become a good friend. In just a few years, he and his bride, uh, Lindsay, just mean the world to April and I. We love them and we love this team. Would you do one more hand clap for the leadership of the church and for the volunteers and for the staff that watch over you? God is good. Well, let's, let's get to work. Uh, I got a lot of fish to fry and I ain't got but a few minutes to cook it. They gave me something called a 30-minute time limit. Um, I'm a black preacher. I'm originally from a town called Pearl, Mississippi. I don't even, I've never even heard that phrase before. 30 minute time, where I come from, that's called cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> but friends, I will do what I can with what I have. If you have your Bibles, meet me in the fourth chapter of Philippians. It'll be provided on screen for you as well. Philippians chapter four, verses four through nine, as I want to entertain a question that I believe many of us in the room and many of you watching online may need to wrestle with today. Uh, it's the question of what to do uh, about uh, evil in the world and suffering. And honestly, y'all, I just want to beg the question, why does bad stuff happen to good people? That, that's really the question I want to answer. Uh, it's what scholars call theodicy. It's the study of how can there be a good God 
but, but bad things continue to happen. That's kind of the, the, the things I want to delve into today. And already you're thinking, okay, summer preacher, that's pretty courageous. And no, I don't know if it's courageous as much as it is dumb, but I bet there are many of you who have that question. Now, don't get me wrong. I wanted to preach a nice little summary message, you know, hug each other, go home. You know, I, I wanted to preach something like that. I wanted to ask a more entertaining question. Who is the greatest of all times? Is it LeBron? Is it Kobe? God rest his soul. Or would you allow me to preach what the Bible says, that Michael Jordan is the greatest of, <laughs> of all times, okay? Now, I'm going to get some emails. I'm not going to read them anyway, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some emails about being sacrilegious. How dare that you say Michael Jordan being the greatest is biblical? You have not read your Bible. Joshua chapter 3, verse 11, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. It's right there. It's, it's, it's right there. But, but alas, um, there's somebody here who's, who's in some pain, and you know God loves you, and you need to reckon with that question. God, if you love me, why would you let me go through what I'm going through? And maybe you're not the one in the pain, and maybe you love somebody who is. And for the life of you, you can understand, Lord, why that couple going through infertility? God, why did that mama who waited years for a baby, why did you entrust to her a kiddo with special needs? God, why did my, why did my family get divorced? God, why did what I went through, why did I have to go through that, and how do I reconcile that with these promises that you are good and that you Love me. I want to wrestle with that today if you'll give me some time. Go now with me to around 62, 63 AD. An aged apostle is in the confines of a Roman prison. And as you would expect him to be bewildered and perplexed and giving up on life insofar that his execution is less than a year or two away, yet and still we see something about the presence of the Spirit of God resting on the apostle that allows him to say the audacious opening in our text, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He's captured the episode for us. And he writes to us these words. Here now the word of the Lord. Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Good morning, friends. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. I've read from the greatest book ever written, and I bear witness this day, all of its words are true. Amen? Amen. How can a good God allow bad things to happen? What are believers to do with the reality that you and I will face evil and suffering in this world? 
Our subject matter gets my memory back on a book read years ago entitled The Boy Born Dead. The Boy Born Dead. It's written an autobiographical sketch of a guy named David Ring who tells his own story of the circumstances surrounding his birth. It's the 28th of October. It's 1953. They're in Jonesboro, Arkansas. The scene is the delivery room, and it's one of expectation and excitement. There is mama, and there is daddy, excitedly anticipating the birth of their firstborn child. And of course, it's the dramatical scene that we're all familiar with. The doctor says, push one more time. And of course, out comes a brand new baby boy, however much the chagrin of everyone in the room, this baby was born dead. Stillborn, uh, completely lifeless there on the delivery table. What was before this scene of great anticipation and excitement is now transformed to agony and anger and pain. Mama is weeping profusely. Dad can no longer hold himself and is screaming. Even the doctors and nurses who have the arduous task of removing a lifeless baby from the womb all the way to the delivery table now have tears in their eyes or they're documenting his passing. This was the scene for young David Ring for 18 minutes. Then it happened. (laughs) All of a sudden, this baby started coughing. And this baby started crying and coughing and crying. Again, David Ring, who was dead, was now alive. Again, however, history will tell us that 18 minutes, no oxygen to his brain, would render him stricken with something called cerebral palsy. For the remainder of his life, he would have to bear the magnificent weight of this terrific handicap. Now, if that's not enough, 11 years later, his dad dies. As if that's not enough, four years later, his mom dies. And the scene for David Ring is now one of this 14-year-old boy going through the trauma of being moved as an orphan from home to home all the while with the constant onslaught of epithets and criticisms coming from kids in school who made fun of the way he talked and made fun of the way he walked. His depression was so severe that he spent much of his teenage years begging God to let him die. Uh, History tells us, though, that in 1970, David Ring befriends another kid named David Weidman. And it was David Weidman who looked upon his his buddy and said, "Uh, David, what you need is Jesus. And history tells us he pulled him kicking and screaming to something called a tent meeting revival. It was the 17th of April, 1970, and he plopped him down on the front row in old school country church where the choir was singing the songs of Zion, and they were bellowing out the words of God's praises, and they had a country preacher who stood up, and he must have said something to the effect that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. And as he was preaching, as it were, the scales began to fall from David Ring's eyes and he repented of his sin. And back in those days, we used to open the doors of the church and come down to the altar. And David Ring was coming down that aisle, limping and crying, putting both hands in the air saying, Jesus is now the Lord of my heart. And there he is praising God. And there he is the weight of the world lifting from his shoulders, it is then that he hears the whisper of the Holy Spirit, David, I want you to go around the world and preach for me. And David's walking this through his mind saying, God, I talk funny and I walked funny. And he says to the Spirit, Lord, I have nothing to give to which the Spirit replies, that's okay, David, because I love 
working with nothing. Fast forward a few decades, David Ring is now pastor. David Ring, every year he preaches 275 nights a year to hundreds of thousands of people. He's led tens of thousands of people to saving faith. He's married, he's got kids, he's got grandkids, and he says in his book that I spent the first half of my life saying, when I get to heaven, the first thing I'm gonna say is, God, why'd you take mama, why'd you take daddy, why'd you give me this handicap? But now, as he looks back over his life, he says, when I get to heaven, the only thing I'm gonna ask the Lord is, God, why have you been? so good to me. The next few moments, I want to beg the question, why did this happen to David? And how dare do you and I still get to believe God is a good God? If you've given me about 23 more minutes, <laughs> I'd like to explore this topic from Philippians 4. Why do things like this happen? And so doing, I want to list up these three ideas, table of contents for our time together. I think Paul is celebrating the fact that God is good. Then I want to explore the fact that because God is good, bad things are allowed to happen. Stay with me. Then thirdly, how you and I ought to respond to this reality in our lives for encouragement's sake. I'd like to tag this text. Why does God allow evil and suffering? Will you pray with me? Father, uh, we bless your holy name, and this is your word, and you promise it won't return to your void. So God, there are those who are in the thicket of a storm that need to hear the good news. And there are those who may be outside of it, but may be headed towards one, and we need to put this in their pocket. So Holy Spirit, do what you will, and do it in 22 minutes. We ask in Jesus' name. Every heart set? Amen. Y'all ready to have a few minutes at church this morning, Hills? Yeah? Four, 14 of you? Okay. All right. It is, it, it is what it is. Um, who is this sermon for? Like, who, who am I talking to uh, today? Who really needs to open up your heart to what Jesus has to say to you today? I liken it to uh, my seminary days in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, my school was founded by an old Navy uh, World War II uh, veteran. He was an uh, air pilot, and he was uh, regal, and he was an elder statesman. He was in his 90s at the time, Dr. Gray Allison, and he was so holy, he was scary, right? He had these sharp blue eyes, and when you looked at him, you just felt the Mufasa effect. Right? Like, as soon as he talked, he said, Ooh, Dr. Gray. He was that kind of guy. And on the first day of seminary, he explains the absentee policy. And he says, Fellas, in his Arkansas tongue, fellas, y'all get eight days to miss each and every semester. Fellas, we gave you two days because you might get sick. Uh, fellas, we gave you another two days because your wife or your kids might get sick. Uh, fellas, we gave you another two days because life happens and all sorts of things go bump in the night. You may have an emergency. Uh, fellas, we gave you that seventh day because at the end of the day, we run you hard and you may get behind on your studies and need to catch up on the paper. But boys, I want you to know I fought for that eighth day. And the reason I fought for that eighth day because I wanted you boys to have the day where all hell breaks loose. And you need to get into your pickup truck, drive out into the middle of a field, find a tree in the middle of the field and wrap your arms around the tree and holler. This message is for those of you who are this close to getting in that pickup truck and, and, and finding a tree in the middle of the field and wrapping your arms around a tree to just holler because you are this close to giving up. But hear me as a voice crying out in the wilderness to say that Jesus Christ is that tree for you and that he can be trusted as a God who is safe and secure for you to wrap your arms around him 
and holler help. And I heard the psalmist saying that the Lord our God is a present help in times of our trouble. This sermon is for you. Now, a lot of you, it ain't a bad year. It ain't a tough year. Some of you have never suffered, but you need to do what my grandmama would say, keep living. Because at the end of the day, trouble befalls us all, and we need to know what to do about it. Can y'all say amen to that? I'm a black preacher from Mississippi. Your amens ain't going to throw me off at all, okay? <laughs> so at the end of the day, what, we, what do we need to do when we're in that chapter in our lives where we're begging the question, why? Has anybody ever been there? Where you just want to say, God, why? Can I, can I, take, that a, can I take it a little deeper? You, you didn't want to ask the question, why? You wanted to ask the question, really? Can I get a witness right there? <laughs> like, not why, but Really? Like, God, I, I come to church every Sunday. Really? I've been raising my kids in the admonition of Christ. Really? God, I was faithful to my spouse, yet they weren't faithful to me. Really? Has anyone ever wanted to raise their fists towards heaven and ask God why this is me? When I was 20 years old and my spirit-filled mama died of metastasized breast cancer, why, God? When me and my father were estranged for 20 years, my father, who's a pastor, and I barely spoke for two decades. Why, God? This is me when I met April and got engaged and figured, I, okay, I need to start being healthy, and I'm going to start going to the hospital. Let me go get a routine physical. And the doctor says, I'm sorry, buddy, but I found some blood in your urine, and I think you got kidney cancer. I'm going to have to take that kidney out, or you're done. Why, God? This is the question I asked when I go and find out about my buddies six months ago, all pastors who were flying a little plane from Memphis over to Houston, these pastors who've been around the world raising up missionaries and training pastors, these guys who have led probably collectively 15,000 people to Jesus, and the plane goes down and only one of my buddies survived. Why, God? This is the question I asked when a little five-year-old sweet girl at Southwest Church, Zoe, has an arterial disease, and they had to have open-heart surgery on this precious baby, and they didn't think she would even survive the surgery. Why, God? This is the question I asked when this gal on our staff, who's just an absolute star, 28 years of age, about to go through her third bout of cancer at 28, why am I the only one here today who's ever wanted to ask God the question, why? And I'm telling you right now, I'd give up now. Like, I'd, I'd give up. I would turn in the towel now had I not read this book several times from cover to cover where the best of the best found those chapters in their life where they too were saying, really? I speak of Moses in the wilderness with two million complainers wanting to hit the people and didn't hit the people and so hit a rock. If anybody's smelling what I'm, what I'm stepping in, Moses wanted to ask why. I speak of Elijah, the only one he thinks who's serving God and on the run from Ahab and Jezebel. I speak of David who, whose throne was taken by Absalom. I speak of Job who didn't do anything wrong. But God still entrusted suffering and evil to him. Why is a question that we all ask in our life from times to times. And the encouragement I have for you before I get into the text is that God is a safe place where you get to ask why. Doesn't mean you'll get an answer, but it's a safe place for you to vent. He is a safe place for you to cry 
He's a safe place for you to not understand. And I've heard and I've seen that God comforts those who have that question, why today? Can y'all say amen to that? What do we learn as we come to the text? We're in Philippians, which is really cool if I had more time to preach, but whatever, okay? (laughs) But essentially what I'll have you know about Philippians is that Philippians is Paul's happiest book. It's like his happiest book. Like when you read Philippians, all four chapters, like he's really happy today. He's amazing. It's just a happy book. First Corinthians, drama. Okay. Galatians, way too deep. Okay. First Thessalonians, very weird people. Okay. But I'm telling you, Paul, this is his happiest book. And so when you read Philippians, one of the things that walks, runs, runs out at you at the page is that there's a lot of hope here. Chapter 1, verse 3, I thank and praise my God upon my every remembrance of you. Chapter 2, if there be any comfort in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 13, my favorite mom, uh, I count myself not to have apprehended it, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and pressing forward to those things which are ahead of me, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And in our text, chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. There is hope here. Watch this, though, Hills Church. Because at the same time that there is hope in the heart of the apostle, there is also weight here as well. The same guy saying, rejoice, is the same guy in chapter 1, verse 13 saying, I am in chains for Christ. This is what I want you to feel before we move forward. Watch this, because it's important. The same good guy is in one side of his mouth saying, this is great. And in the same breath, he's saying, there is weight, all at the same time. Now, it doesn't necessarily explain this truth and this reality yet, but essentially it's letting us know to wake up out of our Instagram selfie drama illusions and be reminded that there will be good times and bad times, more often than not, all at the same time in our life. I don't know what's going on with the American church, but it seems like we've kept the pages in the Bible that said everything will be great and you have Instagram followers and everyone will like you, and we've torn up 99.9% of all the pages that says that the promise of the gospel is not that you won't have trouble, but the promise of the gospel is that when you have trouble, Jesus Christ will walk with you. That's what the Bible says. So now all I want you to see is that the guy who's good is going through something that's bad. Hear me, ain't none of us gooder than Paul. Like if you think you're good... Hey, Paul is good, okay? Tim Tebow is good. He ain't got nothing on Paul. Mother Teresa is good. She ain't got nothing on Paul. Jonathan Hansen is really good. He ain't got nothing on Paul. We think Paul was um, perfectly fluent in six or seven languages. He was conversant in 13. As a Pharisee in the most elite uh, rabbinical training, he would have memorized word for word the entire Old Testament in two different languages, Greek and Hebrew. On top of that, he would have memorized the Midrash word for word. And on top of that, anything that his rabbi would have written and expounded upon, he would have memorized that word for word. Scholars say if you're going to find somebody in modern times who have in their brain what Paul has in his, you'd have to find a 2023 scholar with seven earned PhDs. You think you're good? Paul's good. (laughs) And at the same time, he went through it. Because there's a reality that even if you are a good person, bad things can happen. How do we reconcile this, Ricky? Because you've only got like eight minutes. I think there's at least three things we ought to know. The first truth is this. 
you got to settle in your heart today that God is good. God is good. In fact, everyone looking this way, the only reason that this question is interesting, why does God allow evil and suffering? The only reason you're engaged in it, because you know deep down that God is good. The only reason it's worth asking is because it seems to us ironic. It seems to us somewhat oxymoronic. It seems to some of us a disconnect because on the one hand, we know he's good. And I heard Jeremiah saying, I have loved them with an everlasting love. He is good. So why does bad things happen? So settle your heart on this truth. God is good. God creates the world and didn't have need to. God has never been lonely. God has never been worried. God has never been concerned. God didn't have a need to share himself with all these people, okay? God didn't need me. God didn't need you. Yet he created the world out of his own goodness and out of his love. He flung trillions of galaxies into the sky. He created the sun and the moon and the stars. Still don't know why he created deserts, but I'll ask him that when I get to heaven. He created all these beautiful things in oceans. He created lions, tigers, bears, and you say... He created all these things, and this is what I want you to hear. God wasn't lonely. God was completely satisfied in and of himself, yet he created us out of his own goodness and love. Last time I checked, that means that God is good. But let's go deeper. Hill Church, I hope you'll help me. God is so good. God is so good that when he created us and we sinned against him, he didn't kill us and send them straight to hell, which on paper he had every right to do. Last time I checked, good is creating somebody. Last time I checked, really good is creating somebody who rebelled against you and letting them live. God is so good that when we sin against him, can I get a witness that he didn't turn his back on you, but rather he turned his face towards you and sent his son to die on a cross for you and be risen again for you? I don't know about your testimony, Hills Church, but where I come from, as I look back over my life, I say, God, thank you, because I would have taken myself out in 98, and I sure would have taken myself out in 2004 because she was a fool. I would have definitely taken myself out in 2011, but God, grace after grace after grace, you kept me. Is there anybody else that can say, Jesus, thank you, because when you took me out, you hooked me up. With the blood of Jesus Christ, God is good. But as we get deeper, it's because God is good that bad things are allowed to happen. Now, so you're new to church and you're new to Christianity and you just turn me off because you're like, there they go again. There goes those Christians with those little anecdotal, like, believisms, okay, and not explaining and stuff. There you guys go with your circular logic, your reductionism. There you go. Because God is good, evil is allowed to happen. Close the book, okay? And I hear that, and that's real. But watch this. God is so good, bad things are allowed to happen. God creates Adam in his own image. And the Bible says he breathes into Adam, and Adam becomes a, a, a living soul. And so the picture is one of a perfected pre-sin Adam. So I'm imagining he was 6'4 with a perfect six-pack, much like what you see here. And I, <laughs> I just believe that he fashioned him. And then he shows him the garden, and he shows us this paradise. And he says, Adam, all this is yours. Here's my problem, Adam. I'm perfect. And I do nothing halfway. And because I'm perfect, I require perfect love. And it can't be perfect love if you have to serve me. It can't be real love if it's forced love. It, it can't be true, authentic love if you don't get an option. And so if I'm you, Adam, I'm definitely serving me. I'm <laughs> but you know what? Here's two trees. Take your pick. 
because I refuse to do anything less than perfect because that's who I am. And at the end of the day, the reason bad things are allowed to happen because God didn't want robots. God wanted relationships. And so as I round third and head home, we're gonna have racism because God's love means broken people get to choose whether or not they'll love somebody based on the image of God or on the image of their skin. Unfortunately, we're gonna have abortion because God's love means people get to choose whether or not they'll value another person's life as much as they value their own. We're gonna have fighting and wars because people get to choose whether or not they'll settle their affairs by their standards or by God's standards. And the worst of it all, we're gonna have children being disadvantaged in this world, which is exactly why every last one of you need to be praying over this church every day next week because, because of God's perfect love, broken people get to decide whether or not they're gonna protect children or abuse children. And God has sent the church in the midst of all this evil and suffering and say, show them a better way. Can y'all say amen? amen. Let's close on this. Um, what, what do we do in the meantime? <laughs> First thing you gotta do is remember the prayers. Uh, Paul says in our text, uh, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, he says, or, sorry, first thing you gotta do is remember the future. Paul says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things until the God of peace will be with you. We had a meeting on our staff the other day talking about AI and what the church ought to do about it. And it got so sad, I said, I'm too sad. Let's close the meeting. Let's talk about this next year. Because <laughs> the kids are telling me what's all going to happen, right? Like, we're very soon going to be telling our church not to throw away their written Bibles. Because everybody's going to be able to make up their own version to get it to say anything. It was sad, so I, I, I shut down the meeting. But anyways, my point is, do you ever get freaked out by all the stuff that's going on in the world? Can I get a Ukraine witness? Can I get a, can I get a Wall Street witness? Can I, I bet I'll wake you up here. Can I get a Sacramento, California witness? And sometimes if you're not careful, Christian, you'll forget that God's still in control. And I want to remind you that Paul says, what you've learned and seen, continue to do until the end. Translation, Jesus knows how this thing will end. And make sure that you remember a future that says that in the end of it, God will be in control. We used to read our Bible, our, our stories. We had to check out 10 books every two weeks. My mama didn't play. And we'd be reading a story about, you know, man, little Johnny or little Susie. Well, my mama, she checked out black books. So it'd be little Tyrone or little Keisha. And... <laughs> We'd be worried about the big bad wolf or whatever, and we'd just get freaked out. And so we developed this habit that when we were in a chapter our hearts couldn't handle, we'd cheat to the last page of the book, and we'd read, and they lived happily ever after. Now with newfound courage, we could go back to the chapter we were in, and it didn't matter, it didn't matter what was happening to Tawana, because <laughs> we knew that this story ends. I've come to tell this church that regardless of what's going on in this current chapter in your life, this story ends that you and I in Christ live happily ever after. Amen? Remember the future. Secondly, uh, remember the prayer. Paul says everything in prayer and supplication. I just want to encourage you. I've seen prayer people who had fear. I've, I've seen prayerful people who had concerns. I've seen prayerful per people who had weight. I've never seen a prayerful person who was overwhelmed. And if you're overwhelmed right now, it may have something to do with prayerlessness. 
what I've observed in my life is that on some level, powerlessness has something to do with prayerlessness. The church needs to pray. There's a church in Texas who was mad about a bar coming up up the street and getting built and they started petitioning their city and then they started a prayer revival, praying that the bar would get shut down. Mount Vernon, Texas, and lightning strikes the construction site, burns it down. And the church rejoiced. It's a true story, look it up. The church just rejoiced, God has intervened. Three months later, they got a subpoena in the mail. The bar owner said, it's because of the church's prayers that my bar got burned down and they lawyer up. And the bar owner's lawyers are saying, your honor, this is the church's fault. They prayed and this is why this happened. The church's lawyers say, your honor, this is ridiculous. This is an act of nature. The church's prayer, what are you getting? Dismiss this, play, this, court, this court case right now. Judge says, I have no, no idea yet as to how I'll decide. One thing is clear. The bar owner believes in the power of prayer. The church does not. If you're worried today and too worried, it probably has something to do with prayerlessness. Remember the future, remember the prayers, and finally remember uh, the word. Um, got another story to tell you, but I don't have uh, the time, but I can just tell you in this. Um, David said it'll be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I found that when I'm in God's word, the world around me can be so precarious and so turbulent. But I found that in the word, I'm reminded that no matter what's going on in culture, it's not God's first rodeo and that I'm on, I'm on sound footing when I'm in God's word. Some of you are saying, Ricky, God's been so silent and God's not talking to me. Um, sometimes you'll believe that God continues to be silent, but it's because your Bible continues to be closed. What does it mean for you to open your heart again to a love letter from the Lord that says he's there for you? Remember the future. Remember the prayers and, and remember uh, God's word. Father, I bless your name and thank you, Jesus, for this church, these pastors, these leaders, these volunteers, these families, God, that you have positioned here in El Dorado Hills to make your name famous here. God, help them to remember that they are the ones entrusted with the truth, that they are the ones who have the hope. They are the ones who have the assurance. They are the ones who have the proper, the proper perspective of truth and help them to not only believe it for themselves, but to share it with others, that Jesus Christ died, that he rose again, and this is the reason that regardless of what's happening in this culture, there's hope for the entire world, for all who look to Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.